Hey lovelies, before we get started, let's talk about the pop-up tour. So yesterday was the first stop in Queens in Kew Garden Hills. Um, I'm recording this after that pop-up happened and wow, it was it was such an incredible day, aside from the fact that it was so fun that so many of you showed up and I was able to help you try on and see your faces when you came out of the dressing room and loving yourself in new clothes and everything. Like all of that was so fantastic, but it was also so great to just get to hang out with you and chat and talk about great clothes and loving our skins. So if you want to be a part of the fabulous fun that is the Impact Fashion pop-up tour, you still have two more opportunities. This upcoming Sunday, September 11th, I will be in Muncie in Handpicked. And on September 18th, I will be in Dirama in Flatbush. So if you've ever been nervous about shopping in online, even with free shipping and returns, pop-ups are a great opportunity to come see what everyone is so obsessed about with the collection. See my gorgeous designs, feel the top quality fabrics, and try on a dress or outfit to get a true idea of what the piece actually looks like on you. Plus, I'll be there to style you to perfection for this holiday season or whatever you have coming up. So like I said, two more stops. We got Muncie, we got Flatbush. I'm going to link to the entire schedule in the show notes. You can see it there. And I cannot wait to shop with all of you. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Squitz, and on today's show, I talk with an artist about her work. She shares how she found her way in the creative arts field, her fascination with business, how her products make her art more accessible, and the process of bringing back to market. Plus, we discuss the difference between copying and being inspired when making creative works. ways, Yaeli Vogel is exactly the kind of person I think of when I think of an artist. Aside from producing beautiful works, she's someone who just thinks creatively and sees the world in a different way. Personally, I also appreciate her approach to art as a business, and it was fun to sit down and compare notes. I was just like a happy-go-lucky, like, just, I just loved playing outside, friends, my neighbors. It was just like very, just con- I was very content and just happy. I just remember that. Were you always into art and being creative? Yeah, I was always very crafty, very handy. I was always like making the projects for my class. I painted since I was very little, but like my parents couldn't afford to send me to art class. So I just basically picked up whatever I picked up in camp and school. So what did that look like for you? Like you said, was that just like you with a canvas and paints and whatever happens happened? No, no, I did. I I got into the canvas and paints more in high school. Then I took an AP art course and and she really gave me like the first experience with paints and canvas and all that. And I actually really didn't like it. I did not very in the box and measuring in the lines and methodical and like adding math into it. And I was just like, I hate this. This is so annoying. I wanted to quit. And I went over to her one day and I'm like, um, I, I thought about my decision and, and um, I've come to the conclusion that I'm quitting this course. And she's like, uh, no, you're not. Um, so I, I t- it was like a long road till I figured out like how I like to paint and my style. But yeah, I've always been creative and artistic my whole life. Was this AP studio art? Yeah. Yeah, I did it also. AP- 
Yeah. No, there's, yeah. yeah, there's different, there's different types. I don't know if they're like, yeah, there's, I did AP studio art also. I Oh, loved I don't know it. if it's studio art. I did like, um, a fine art it's painting yeah fine yeah exactly like the the painting one so by when i did it wasn't only painting it was also like you could use other mediums i mostly did things in pencil i used a lot of pencil a lot of charcoal Mm -hmm. um i think i think so i think mine might have been slightly different from yours i think that the fine art one is slightly different from the studio art one um but you have to to do like 24 pieces yeah 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 okay so what people don't understand is that this is a super intense course there's the there's the concentration what was your concentration my concentration was zoomed in objects I am fascinated by textures and different like materials and when you zoom in even if you zoom to a flower like it's just it's marvelous like what is going on there so I zoomed into sliver foil I zoomed into like random objects like like a soda can and it's just so cool so yeah that is a really good concentration. Mine was awful. Um, my concentration was, for anyone who doesn't know, by the way, the way that this um, AP works is that you need to make 24 pieces throughout the year. Um, and 24 of them are your concentration. And tw- excuse me, 12 of them are your concentration. And 12 of them, I forgot what it was called, but it was like 12 were just like skills pieces that your teacher picked yeah. that like you just had to do. Right. And the concentration was it, everything had to fall under like a category and you made things that fit into categories. Zoomed in objects is a really good concentration. Mine was contradiction. So I oh, did wow. like, um, I did like an American flag with a made in China tag. I remember. Um, oh, that's I, so funny. Yeah. Like I, I did, I tried to do like tongue in cheek, things like that, but like it was okay. It wasn't great. I did want my favorite piece that I made, which is actually hanging in my apartment now. Um, it was a, a, a candle, but the flame was water. So uh-huh. like things like that, where you very could, cool. Like, I love see- that. That's very deep, but you have to like think about yeah, it was, it also got to the point where like, I was just like busy, like by the time you get to, like, you think of a couple, like you think of like five or six and by the time you get to like number seven or eight, you're like, what are things that are opposite? Like I ended up doing one that was like a burger and fries and a diet Coke. I remember. Right, I, for, I, I love that. Yeah. Like that. Like I, I worked on a, I worked on a diet Coke can for a long time. I have a, there was one that was a, an, a, a quill, like a feather that like on the pot of ink, I put a, like a printer toner. Um, that is so funny. I love label. that. It's so clever. But yeah, it was like a little bit too cheeky though. I didn't end up passing the AP. So go figure. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got a three. But um, either way, so you so you have this experience where like you, you know, you start to learn more about painting and, and things like that. Um, and then like what happened after high school? At what point do you decide like, okay, I'm a painter now? Because that to me is so right. like you like you might as well decide that you can fly. Like, how does that work? Right. Well, what's funny is that I also got a three on the AP. So, LOL. Yes! Oh, I feel so fantastic right now. <laughs> LOL. Like, the whole thing is such a joke. I really, I, I didn't have my heart in it. I wasn't interested. It was annoying. I didn't feel passionate. It wasn't inspiring. I was doing it because, like, I had to just cross it off the list. Like, it was just too methodical for me. And I'm a free spirit. I wanted to just, like, feel it. And I that's the thing. And the end of the day, like when you don't feel the work, it won't, it just doesn't have an impact. And it didn't. Um, when did I fully realize that I was an artist was when I wanted to be one. And I like started putting all my eggs in that basket. And I remember one time when I was really like very all in, like I was ready to go down this road. Someone actually asked me once one night, my husband and I were out and he asked me, he's like, what, well, what do you do? And I'm like, actually I'm an artist and I said it for the first time and my husband's like whoa I never heard you say that 
And I guess you just become one when you want one, like when you want to be it, that's it. You know, you, you just no decided that you were permission to do be. Yeah. I mean, I always knew I was, I, I always knew I was an artist since I'm little tiny. And I would always, I would always tell people like, yeah, I'm an artist. Like when you, you're an artist, you know, you're an artist. Like you probably feel the same. Like when you know you could do something, that's just like, yeah, of course. Like that's part of my identity. Like I don't have to tell you that I'm that. Like I know I am, but I actually never really pursued it. So like what makes you an artist makes you an artist is just saying that you're one, you know? Right. Did you ever like, did you go to school to like, I don't know, be an accountant or something? Like, were you like, did you ever went to school? I did. I went to school for special ed. My parents are divorced. My mother's a single mother and she always instilled in us that we need to have something in our pocket. Like you, you need to be independent. You need to be like a, you know, educated woman. And she just drove it home. And she's, she's also an immigrant. She's Israeli. So she just, she never had the opportunity to go and get something. So she was very into us going to school. So I had to find something that was easy and simple and quick and just practical I'm super practical by nature. And so I just got a degree in special ed because I love kids. And I, fe- I figured like, why not? It's easy. Anyway, long story short, when I was doing practicing special ed, I really wasn't enjoying it because I wasn't, I wasn't filling my creative juices. Like it wasn't doing anything for me. Um, and one thing led to the next. And then I was not doing it anymore. <laughs> so did, so did you just quit your job one day and start painting or was it more of a gradual transition like how long had you been working in special ed before you decided like okay I'm gonna make a career out of painting so I was a general ed teacher in special ed I love general ed it was so fun there's a lot of aspects of you know implementing creativity in there um the kids it's just fun thing is it wasn't giving me enough like financially like it just wasn't it's not that it wasn't giving me enough it I just didn't appreciate working so hard and not getting out you know, monetarily what I thought I deserved. Like I'm, you're just, it's just insane what these teachers get paid. So I bounced from that and I went all in on, in special ed and special ed. It was okay. I just, it felt it, it was draining me. Like I felt so depleted. And I remember I had, I, I told my husband, it was, this was like, I don't know, so I did general ed, special ed for like three, four years when we first got married. And I remember we had, I had two little babies, they're 13 months apart. And I remember I told my husband, I'm like, Ooh, it would be so good if I just didn't go to work. And then like, we didn't have to pay for the babysitter. Cause like, I would just watch the babies. Isn't that a great idea? And he's like, no, it's not a great idea. Like we, you need to go to work. So I, I just, I, I had this like angst of just like not wanting to do it. Like something was just like, not, it wasn't for me. And then like, they say like, be careful what you wish for, because then the, the next year, I was like on the way to the meetings for, to get my cases. And they, they emailed me saying that there's, there's just no cases for you. Interestingly enough. Well, I really wasn't good at it. So not that I wasn't good at it. I just didn't like it. So I wasn't putting my all into it. And then I literally made a U-turn came home and then I just decided I'm all in, I'm going all in in art. So you decide that you're going all in, in art. Like, had you, had you taken a pause from painting or had you just been painting on the side from yourself this whole time while you were teaching? No. So yeah. So I, I painted a few things for my apartment at home. My husband was very into it. He was like, this is amazing. And I always painted, I did here and there. I did like a couple like art lessons for people. I always painted paintings for my friends, like for their weddings and stuff. 
And then, yeah, I was, I was dabbling in it. And then the, the year before I stopped completely, I was really starting to learn different things. Like I wanted to know what I didn't know. So I went on YouTube and like, I knew that like I was, I was going down that path, but I didn't know how soon, how fast. It's really not human nature. I was just talking to my husband about the state. So funny. It's not human nature to go all of a sudden and like break status quo and do something new, you know? So it's very hard to, to just leave a job. And I wasn't, I probably wasn't going to. And so I needed to get like a kick in the butt and like this, this door is closing, go through another one. And that's literally what happened. So, yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. It's so many people like the dramatic stories are always like, I walked into the boss, I told him to go screw himself and I went and started my own thing. And like, that's just not how people work right it's just not how our our minds are wired to work and it's also by the way a bad strategy in general like you should have backup plans and you should have other other ways and uh, talk to me more about this youtube phase because i think this is such an important phase for the creative i'm gonna guess at least i'll tell you what my youtube phase was this is for me was mostly in high school and it was just making as many things as i could 90 percent of which were terrible And then you find like that 10% that is, oh, wait, this little part is good. And this little part is good. And then you get a little bit better and a little bit better until you can make a dress or a gown or whatever without even thinking about it. Was that a similar experience for you? Maybe like, okay, so part of it. So I went onto YouTube to to learn what I didn't know. I, I tried to do art classes. I did. I enrolled in an art class. I went three times. It was sewn out for me. I, I couldn't with so many people. Like when people are around, they want to talk to you. I don't want to paint. So I couldn't focus on both. And so I, I just went home and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go on YouTube. And yes, there was this guy, Richard Bickford. He taught me everything about like realistic painting. Cause you know, you have to know the rules before you break the rules. And so I learned all the different methodologies. Like I never understood how you could paint a background and then paint something on top of the background. Like I always painted in segments. I wanted to learn, so he, I, he really taught me that. Then I went and I implemented everything that I learned. And then, okay, that was it. Like I didn't really go onto YouTube anymore to learn painting. Um, I actually would scroll on Instagram and I found a bunch of artists that I loved their styles. And I, I, w- I initially started painting in oils. And when I went onto Instagram, like what, uh, 2016, everyone was like all the like cool artists were using acrylic and I was like let me try it it looks so cool you get the colors are a little more vibrant and they dry quicker let me try it anyway I totally found my style I I I took a little bit of like each one and like the more I painted the more I figured it out and so it was really really a lot a lot of like a lot of practice you need to like really be in it in order to figure it out um, and, and YouTube was a huge part for me, but not so much the actual painting. YouTube was a huge part for me business-wise, learning how to structure a business, learning everything. I didn't know anything. So I would, I would sit on my couch every night after I went on Instagram and I would YouTube, I would YouTube everything. I would YouTube how to run a business, how to market, how to have a brand, how to sell, how to become rich, how to sell, like literally all night, every night. And I came up with so many amazing amazing people I, that's how I, I i was like one of the earlier gary vaynerchuk people i found tony robbins i found all them and i would listen to them every night and they re, they say like you become like um you're like a completion of the five people you hang out with and these were the people i hung out with like i literally listened to them every single day and it really trained my brain into thinking a certain way and achieve and like accomplishing was it difficult for you 
like as a creative person to plug into that business side of like the realities of running a business and like and organizing in that way or did it come no I love it no I love it I always wanted to do something in business I always wanted to have a business I never knew what um like I I've said this before I, I watched Shark Tank every Saturday night when it came out I just I was I'm fascinated by business I love it and I still think there's so much more that I want to do. Um, I just, I, I, that's how my brain operates. I'm very like, I can get very numbers and just, yeah, it's funny. It's like two sides. Yeah. It's, I work in a lot of the similar ways and that I never really set out to own a business. It was just like, I wanted to have, I wanted to like have my own designs out there. And the easiest way to do that is to just start your own business. And I found that there were parts of it that I took to like very easily. Like there are parts of it that I found actually were quite creative and, and are just, and like business people don't necessarily get that same kind of credit as like, you know, you're not putting out an art piece. You're putting out. Marketing is very creative. It is. It really, really is. So it's, you know, all that I find to be super interesting. I want to talk to you about something in the art world. I have, um, we should say that you've um, recently launched this podcast. It's called Life is Art. Um, And it is the most fantastic stream of consciousness podcast ever. It's (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, of course. It is, it is wonderful in that, like, it's, it's really sounds like your voice noting to yourself. That's really what it sounds like. Um, and that's really what it feels like. And like, I appreciate getting into people's brains in that way. Um, and one of the more recent episodes that I listened to um, was about your epic fails. And in it, you talk about how um, you were approached by a couple and you were commissioned to make um, to make a oh painting of, of Chris. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How, um, you know, of the splitting of the sea. And they approached you basically. And they said, we want you to make this picture. And they gave you a very specific reference and you painted it. And it ended up being basically exactly the same. And to make a very long story short, you were sent a cease and desist letter. And that needed, that painting ultimately needed to be um, destroyed. And then you went on to create what I think is definitely one of, if not your best known piece, um, which is your, like your Kriya Siamsov. I have that in my living room. It's such a beautiful piece. And oh my God, I love it's, you. Yeah. it's like, it's, it is. And I, and I love that it came out of that, that whole story, um, you know, about how this was a really epic fail um, and, and all of that. <laughs> but I, what I would love to know from you is let's talk about the, di- like, let's talk about copying, you know, let's talk about copying and inspiration and all of that. Cause this is something that comes up so much. Um, and I'm curious, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on are, especially like now a couple of years past where, I mean, I know of at least one instance where like your Kriyas Yamsov was quite specifically copied. Um, you know, you've yeah. been on, on both sides of this now, I guess we could say. So my uh, thoughts changed. My thoughts did change. My thoughts like matured. Um, listen, like we live in a real doggy dog world, whatever it is with this Instagram, it's, it's right there. Anyone could screenshot from their phone. It's the easiest ever. Um, I'm very big into, you know, good artists, copy great artists steal. And, and so, yes, you can take something, you can implement a certain style, not style, but a certain element of one artist or one creative person into your work, but then turn it and make it into a brand new thing. There's, you know, there's like a Jewish chazal that says, ain't um, dabar fadash tachas or whatever it is. There's nothing new under the sun. 
there's nothing new. Like God created the world with elements and those elements are how we do things. There's ingredients. So you only have a certain amount of ingredients and then you can make the food, but everyone's going to make, there's a million cookbooks and a million more that are going to be being written. Right. So there's obviously everyone could put in their own unique spin on whatever it is. What about music? How fascinating is it that these tunes keep being produced and like, you're like, oh my God, I thought everything was taken. And then someone else writes this amazing piece of music, how it boggles my mind. And so we have a limited amount of tool, tunes and then people are making ingredients. I'm saying it, the sky's the limit with the limited resources that we have. And so, yes, you can implement one little thing here and there and turn it into your own amazing recipe. The people that don't have the ability to create their own recipe and just copy someone else's that's really annoying because it's like you're just you're not you're not going internal you're not finding who you are you're not going on the journey you're just riding on my journey and like I didn't invite you you know so it just it's really it's annoying I just find it very violating and people are like well you know imitation is the best form of flattery but it's not it's not imitation is not the best form of flattery whoever was ever imitated knows that for a fact doesn't you feel you feel deeply deeply hurt and very like stabbed in the back like it doesn't feel good um that being said I did speak to another artist a very established artist who's my friend Ofer Friedland and she said she's like listen like we all copy each other like who knows who copies who she has a point but like I don't necessarily feel like I copy anyone I feel like I get inspired there's a big difference and then I also she told me she's like Matisse one time I think it was Matisse or Picasso. One of them went to the other. They were contemporaries and they were friends. They were like almost like competitive friends and they, but they were very, very good friends and they had a lot of mutual respect for one another. And one of them said to the other, like, you made, you, you, you made it good, but I'm going to copy it and make it even better. And, and the, I think it was Matisse that copied Picasso, but he did copy him, but it looks completely different. Like it's his own unique spin on it. So like, yeah, you, they technically copied, but that's what I'm saying. Like if you have your own voice, you can make it your own, but I don't, a lot of, they don't have their own voice, unfortunately. Right. So I, I think that there's the, like the nuance to parse out here is that there's a big difference between somebody like basically like scanning your image and using it without your consent and like putting it on a product, let's say, and between someone taking, using your creative as an example, saying like, oh, I like that staging. Let me, let me change up. Let me see what it looks like from this angle. Let me see what it exactly. looks like, you know, in a, right. in a different coloration or something right. like that. Right. Or if I like, if I one time followed, if I saw an artist where I follow a lot of random, you know, artists out there and I, and I, and I get inspired, you know? So one time I love this color palette. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm implementing this color palette. Now my painting looks nothing like hers. I happen to like her color palette. Or one time I liked someone's flowers. So I started painting and then I, my flowers look completely different. I just, got in the mood of painting flowers you know so you can get inspired like that right it's actually it's interesting you're reminding me of something that happened when I launched my little ruffle dress which is uh it's a black dress with made out of this like really stunning polka dot mesh um and it's a tiered skirt so it's like gathered ruffles of this like very lightweight mesh um which like I did not invent that I did not invent gathering I did not invent mesh I did not invent the tiered skirt I am not the first person to put all those three things together you know um And somebody reached out to me and like very nicely, actually, I have to say, like someone who's actually a pretty good customer of mine and said, like, I'm just curious, 
did you copy this specific dress? Because I just ordered this dress from this other brand and it, and it looks very similar. And I, and she showed me the dress and like, yeah, it was pretty similar because it was a mesh dress with a tiered skirt and gathered ruffles. And like, and, and I said to her, I was like, no, I didn't, but neither of us are the first to do that. You know, neither of us are the first to, to, you know, it's, I I can admit that like, I love that dress and I wear it all the time. It's not my most original design. So, you know, when it comes to that, to those kinds of things, there's, there's also a, there's a line there, you know, there's, if something's no, no one can accuse you of copying a straight skirt, you know, it's a straight skirt. That's it. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's just that. And I feel like also to a certain, that probably applies, maybe it's a little bit different in paintings because your style comes through, but I, I don't know. It's there's I'm saying no one's going to accuse you of copying floral. Like it's a freaking flower, you know, like right. God made it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just a flower. Um, I'm curious for you, like, has your thought on this evolved as your career has evolved? Like has, how, how, like, how did you used to approach something like this and, and how has that changed? I used to get really mad and like talk about it to everyone until like I puked out and I'm like you know what it's just not a good look like what who, it's not changing I'm not I'm definitely not changing it um we cannot change people's intentions and actions and I feel like I just like I spoke to someone else who's very you know in this world and she she creates products and she's like you just have to stay ahead of the curve so stay just stay ahead 10 miles and that's it and then that's what I try to do. Yeah, I hear that. And and I really do love your products. Your products is such an interesting way to approach art and especially to approach art as a business. I'm curious if there was a part of you that was like, I'm an artist and I sell canvases and I sell prints mm-hmm. and like, and that's what I do. Or were you like very open to this idea of, you know, all of these other products that you have, you know, the, like the Simonim cards and the, and the mezuzahs and, and like all of the books that you do, the, the sitter, the Tehillim, like was, were you open to that or did you need right. to like ease into that? I ha- I had to ease into it, but I'm also very open to people really enjoying my art. I'm very open to creating art and however that manifests, I'm, I'm open to. So if it's going to be in a book form, then great. Let me make that. And I'm very open also to the third idea of making money. And if paintings are very pricey, so paintings are not the thing that's selling every single day. So I, st- I wanted to f- fill up those gaps. So all, it just aligned. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll one thing at a time and one thing led to the next. Yeah. And I think the first book that you did was the Megillah, right? The first book I actually did was the Haggadah. Oh, the Haggadah, right. Of course. How, how could I forget? So what made you decide that you were going to start with the Haggadah? Nothing really. I think it was just like I had a, like two paintings that were Pesach related. Um, and it was like the most Jewish type of like Judaica that I could think of that like, I, I don't know, I just it was the, like the easiest like reaching fruit, you know. Um, and I didn't really know what I was, was doing. I Googled like a bunch of like book printing places. I found one in, in LA that was like a self-publishing thing. And I really didn't know what I was doing. It was really like one foot in front of the other and I figured it out. Yeah. I, I love that. Everyone is like, yeah. So like, what was your plan? It'd be like, there was no plan. We just, there was no plan. <laughs> there yeah. was no plan. Yeah. All the time. No. It's like, so, so what were you thinking? I was thinking, let's try to finish it. Um, right. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's how my brain works at least. So after, yeah. so, so you put out the Sagada and it does, and it does well, I presume, um, by all appearances does well. Um, and then no, you it started really well. Game. It does it really, really well every year because it's like such a beautiful thing, you know. Right? Like yeah, it is. It is a really, really beautiful. with art in it, like 
Right. Especially also just like because a Seder is so long and like, let's get real, gets a little bit boring. It's nice to have something yeah. to like, yeah. to look at yeah. it and, totally. and to have through. So what were your next steps from there? Did you just like start choosing other Sfarim that you wanted to do? Or did you like, were you automatically what did drawn I do to like- after the I think, I, I think after of- the Haggadah, I did challah covers. Right. I that's what- covers. I found, I found a leather company locally in Queens. And then I started making some challah covers and then I did. And then the next thing was the Megillah. I think I did, I re did the same model with Haggadah. I did a Megillah. It was really hard to do the Megillah because I had to paint so many paintings. Like I don't have like Queen Esther sitting around. Like I had to paint so much for this Megillah. And then I did matzah covers literally like every single every single penny that I get goes right back into the business and I invested into another product and another product like the with well, the first the, the Haggadah was like I don't know all in it was like twenty thousand dollars that I invested and people were asking me who sponsored your Haggadah and I was like what like I was literally all my money and it went into the Haggadah that's it like you're looking at it so yeah it's just been like a snowball yeah I'm curious like you mentioned that you you came from, you know, a single parent home and, and all, and how it was important to you to have money. And I, by the way, I love how unapologetic you are about the fact of like, I need to make a living and this is like, and this is how I do it. Um, I'm curious if like, how have you, like plenty of people who start businesses, like do like they get investor of whether it's someone they're related to or not. Um, you were not in that situation. So like, how did that, did you, did you resent that? Did it just make you want to work harder? Like, how did you approach all of that? I didn't resent it. No, no. Yeah. So I actually, I didn't resent it. It's it's not my personality. Like I don't sit around and like get upset and mope. I, I get angry. I get angry in a way that like I get fired up. So I get like, I want to prove to you and all you idiots that I could do it on my own. And so I like, I remember when I did have an actual idea and I approached a family member and they're like, oh, good luck. And that like, it got me just like very, got my juices going. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll show you. Like, I, I understand why now looking back, I understand why somebody would be like, okay, good luck. You don't have any concrete, anything to show me, but no, I never had an investor. This business completely started with a paintbrush and paint. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Do you have any, like, if there's something that you could have told yourself when you were starting with just your paintbrush and paint? You know, what would you, what would you go back and tell, you know, Yelly from a couple of years ago? I would tell her to just calm down, <laughs> just <laughs> calm, just enjoy because the process is happening anyway. It's happening, whether you're full of anxiety or whether you're calm, it's still happening. I'm a doer and I'm not sitting around. So I could be a doer and be anxious, or I could be a doer and be calm. And for much of it, I was a doer and anxious. I just had this like feeling of angst like where's the next sale coming from like all that and like just chill like it's gonna it's coming whether or not you're worried you know right so that's what I would tell her just chill out yeah I would probably give Rifki from a couple years ago the same advice we you and I mirror in a lot of in a lot of ways which is unsurprising you know creatives with their own business and all um for you Mm -hmm. you you talk a lot about manifesting you're very into it I'd love if you could give me like a three second dummies guide on this. Like, and I will, and I will, I know that um, we were talking about the podcast before and you particularly loved my episode with, um, with Ruthie Prakash on 
palettes and me saying that I think they're a little bit dumb. I do think manifesting is a little bit dumb. So I'd love for oh you to God. start <laughs> and let's see where we end it's up. Literally my life. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what do you want me? What do you want me to say? It's like, I don't know, even know where to start. I'm start not like one foot manifesting. So, so it's when I told you that I YouTubed everything, I would YouTube all different ways to have a business. And what kept on coming up over and over again was this, this idea of law of attraction that what you think about, you bring about. And I'm like, that actually makes so much sense because my whole life I've been doing that without even knowing that that was an actual terminology and real thing in this planet. And I'm like, okay, fine. So if I train myself to think a certain way, then I can bring about what I want. That's so freaking cool. I'm like, I have nothing to lose, but try. Like, what are you investing? Your thoughts? So I, I started doing it and I got my husband on board and I told him, I'm like, we have nothing to lose. Like if it works, great. And it wasn't something that you don't have to necessarily think about. Okay, so now I'm thinking about it and now I'm like focusing. No, it's more about just like what I'm saying, like just becoming calm and trusting the process. It really comes down, the bottom line is, it all roots back to Torah and Amuna. So the way, um, the, the what the Torah says with having Amuna is the more you're happy, the more you're a vessel for good things to come in. And the more you have a Muna, also you, you're, more, you're, you're more happy, you're more calm, then good things come in. And so it all comes back to this, just having a relaxed, good, calm energy and thinking about the things that you want, knowing what they want, knowing what you want, desiring what you want, feeling passionate and strong about what you want, and then just letting it go. Like just watch it come back to you in different ways. And I'm sure that if you think about it, you can probably find many ways and areas that this has come into your life also. Mm, the closest that I can think, here's the thing. I'm not like a touchy-feely person. I'm not like when people start talking about energies, this is when my eyes roll very far into the back of my head. So but what I will say is this. When I was about 14, um, I was in Sternberg and Older Pioneers and they take you caving. And it's it's this like really intense, fantastic experience. And the guy who takes yeah, you caving, yeah. okay, you know, okay. So Steve, right? Um, and he talks about, yeah. and he gives you this, this like spiel before you go into the cave. And it is, you can be as scared as you want. He's like, I'm telling you, you're going to make it out alive. I've done this with hundreds of people. You're going to be fine. It was so freaking scary. I hated it. I loved it. Um, I, I ended up doing it <laughs> six times. I loved it. Um, wow. So, but, but, and what he says is you can be scared. You, you can be scared. That's fine. If you're scared, you can't say that out loud because if once you start saying that, then once you start saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared, then you you will first of all affect the people around you and we can't have panic in the caves that's not that's not safe that's an unsafe situation and mm -hmm. and and he also taught us this concept of that you you end up your what you say out loud becomes your reality so if you say out loud i'm okay then your brain hears i'm okay and then and even if you don't yeah, believe it when you start difficult. saying it then it's right. okay i'm okay I'm, I'm okay. Right. I'm okay. And then mm -hmm. the more that you say it, the more that you start to believe it, which is why, yeah. like I found for myself also a lot of times, and like, I'll advise people to do this also. And they, and they usually find that it helps. If you don't like the way you look, just standing in front of a mirror and finding something to compliment about yourself and actually saying it out loud is super powerful because you're seeing yourself so say, 
like I have, I have great eyebrows. I have great eyebrows. I love my eyebrows. They have such a good shape. They have such whatever. Even if you don't love your thighs or you don't love your belly or whatever, but your eyebrows you love and like, and, and those are your thing. And the more that you do that, the more that you find things to tap onto. So I feel like it kind totally. of ties in a little bit. No, that's it. That's really it. That is it. Because sometimes I'll see people who are not classically, you know, the most beautiful, but like something about them radiates and I'm finding them very attractive. Why is that? Because they, in their heads, they find themselves attractive and they're like illuminating energy that says I'm attractive. Or sometimes you'll find the opposite where it's someone that should be, you know, the most beautiful. And then you meet them and you're like, what? Like it's not adding up because they're so insecure and it's coming out. Like you're set, you're, you're tapping into their insecurity. Their vibes are like messing with your vibes. And so no matter how beautiful or how much makeup they put on, you're the, the, the inside is not right. And so that comes out. It's just, that's just how it is. We're, we're not physical beings. We're spiritual, energetic beings, and we feel each other and we're just masked in bodies. That's it. Right. I'm curious, what draws you to someone or something? Like when you say that you find someone attractive, like what, what is it about them or what is it about an object? Like how, talk me through your artist lens. People, no. So, so for, so what, what I find about attractive about people is for sure confidence, for sure. A hundred percent. I just, I I just love like, there's like a magnetic energy and also someone smile. Like when someone just smiles, I'm like, okay, I, I just like you, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's it. Um, and for, for paintings and stuff, I think it's like anything with color, like vibrancy really attracts me. Yeah. So like in objects and things, you'll look for that contrast and, and brightness and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I love, I, I hear that. What's your favorite thing to paint? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Every, I like painting a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know. I love painting actually with watercolors. That's the truth. That's really interesting because you mostly use acrylics, no? Are you? No, I, I do. I do watercolor at night. I have tons of watercolor. I love painting with watercolors. Um, okay. I don't know. I like painting everything. Okay, I hear that. Let me rephrase the question a little bit. What's your favorite thing about painting? My favorite thing about painting is that. I just, I'm just like in like time stops. Like I'm just in a different planet. The, like that flow state, right? Yeah. I love, I love, no, I love the end. I want to see the end. So I, I'll just, I'll keep pushing myself each time to paint because I want to see what it turns out to. I hear that. So it sounds like you're often surprised by what things turn out to be. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Like that's something, it's literally something out of nothing. All of a sudden it turns into something amazing. So what does that, what does that even look like? Like as you're working, is it that, is it as simple as like you start out making a flower and then it turns into, I don't know, like a car or is it, or is it different than that? It sometimes could literally be that if I'm inspired by the car, but if I'm starting to paint something, yeah. And then I'll just sometimes see something else and I'll go with what I see. That happens to a lot of artists, they'll tell you. It's like, it's almost annoying because it's like, okay, now I have to paint two paintings. Now I have to paint the painting that I see and I have to paint the original that I wanted to paint. It's like, oh my God. And like, it's like a real artist problem. Um, And then sometimes like I'll paint what I actually wanted to paint and I just want to see it finished. And it's so, it's just so beautiful. I don't know. I love it. 
I, I definitely hear that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's the, the whole creative process and everything. Have you ever heard, um, Oh, there's one of those memes that is like, this is uh, the creative process. This is great. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, I, I just actually made a reel with it. It's like, this is awesome. This is fine. This is awful. I am awful. This is great. And it's so true. It like couldn't be more accurate. <laughs> yeah. Do you go through that with every painting? Oh my God. Not every time. It's like you have the, this is awesome the whole time. And sometimes you have, this is awful the whole time. Um, but many, many, I would say like 85%. It has that flow. Yeah. Yeah. I follow that, um, that formula. So like, so to the T not as like, as I've been working more and more, it happens less and less. And I'm usually in like, I can, re I can recognize it and regulate for it. Um, but it used to be so reliable that like, I would come home and I would like be upset or be annoyed because something wasn't working. And like, I was very much in the, I am awful phase. And my husband would just look at me and he would be like, are we in the creative angst? Is that what we're dealing with? here he's like I just need to know like what what what, what exactly. am I working on here he's like he's like where are you up to in the patterning have you done the muslin yet what, exactly. what are things oh okay this is just creative angst thrifty no problem oh. I know what to do it was like literally exactly. who am I dealing with exactly yeah it's it's a very good totally problem. creative yeah yeah for how things work out I cannot believe that our time has totally flown by um but the, and this has been such a beautiful and fun conversation I always just love chilling with creative people uh, if somebody wants to learn more about you Yaeli um and about what it is that you do where can they go um well there's just a fly um they can go to <laughs> sorry That's they can great. check out my Instagram Yaeli Vogel or uh, my website yellyvogel.com Okay. And Ready definitely do check out the Life is Art podcast. It's a very oh, fun- Oh yeah. And Life is Art podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah They're also- Yeah. It's a very, very fun listen. It really is like just 20 minutes in your brain, which I very much enjoy. Yeah. It's it's a fun place to be. Uh, yes. The last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. So to you, Yaeli Vogel, what does it mean to make an impact? I think about this question actually daily because I, I think that painting is so, it's so fun and it's so beautiful for me, but- I want to take my art. I always want to take my art more and and do and do something with it and create an impact with it. And I I don't know. I think about it every day. I don't know the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's just giving people you know food for thought and you know making their lives more meaningful. I try to do that with my art, um, but I'm always searching for the next way to be impactful. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on today, Yelly. I really appreciate it listening. Yelly's links are in the show notes along with a link to a little ruffle dress which we mentioned during our conversation. On last week's episode I spoke with my sister Charney Barak about her experiences with hypnobirthing. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion. The clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 18 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant dash parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nisa Febman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.